Welcome back to the Goalie Corner presented by One Stop Goaltending. I'm Michael Hales, and today we have Denon Maximchuk coming back to, to talk more about the athletic recovery pyramid. Last time, we mainly talked about the uh, well-planned training pro- program, as well as sleep and a little bit of nutrition, stress management, a little bit of uh, the higher up stuff that we shouldn't necessarily focus on too much. Today, we're going to focus on nutrition, talk a little bit about sleep, and then we'll get into the, all the extra stuff. Dan, Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for having me back. I'll take any chance I can get with you. Hey, man, I appreciate it. So last time, yeah, we talked about quite a bit, like number one, first thing, the most important on the pyramid is if you're programming and whether that's in the gym, out of the gym, just uh, generally talking about the amount of stress that you're putting on your body, both physically and mentally in your life. If that isn't tuned in well enough and you're starting to run into that overtraining syndrome kind of area, um, it doesn't matter how much you sleep, eat, supplement, uh, (laughs) foam roll, get massages, physio, you can do that all you want. It's never going to repair the base fundamental idea that you've got way too much stress on your system. So things need to be um, programmed in a nice undulating fashion up and down so that your body can recover properly over time. What does overtraining feel like? Well, we can get into that. So overtraining symptoms are... They range for people, especially men and women, we'll see them differently. But speaking to, I, I, I assume most of the podcast is men. We'll start with that. Um, I ran over training syndrome when I was younger. I was on the ice two to three times a day. I happened to go to a high school that allowed me to do a hockey academy, right? Um, so I got, I got to learn basically how to ice to skate when I was uh, 13 years old. And then a couple of years later, we ended up playing together, which was super cool. But in order to get from learning how to skate to playing at our level in a very few short years, I had to train my face off. And that meant hockey practice every day, um, hockey academy. Oftentimes I was affiliating with the level up for me and going to their practice every day. And then I also started to realize I'm only five foot 10. And at the time I was about 150 pounds. I need to get heavier. I can't stand my weight up here. So I was in the gym then. So I was way, way, way overtraining. For me, I didn't have the number one fundamental thing in this program, right? Which was uh, properly setting out a foundation because I didn't have anybody to work with. It was just me. So I started to notice symptoms of wasn't able to sleep. Um, So insomnia started to kick in. That was a little bit scary. I didn't like that feeling. So um, I started to crush melatonin. Little did I know that, and we'll talk about that in a minute when we talk a little bit more about sleep, but melatonin is actually something that at that age will suppress puberty. Crushing melatonin is not a good idea because your body will also start to uh, suppress the production of it within the brain, but that's another topic. Um, so I, insomnia was a bit of an issue. The next step would have been, uh, I didn't want to eat. I needed to eat. I was skinny. I needed as much food as I could get, but my body didn't want to eat anymore. Um, you're starting to notice two things here, insomnia and, uh, and not eating is very similar to uh, the symptoms of depression, even. Um, your motivation starts to go down. You quite physically cannot, cap- you're not capable as, as much as you were used to before, since your body is actually in such an exhausted state, your physical output will be lower. Um, so you actually, if you were to track it, uh, your exertion output, for example, like VO2 max on a bike, you would not be able to get it as high um, like I said, motivation is lower. So mainly what we're focused on, it's like, are you still able to sleep by will? Did you lose your appetite or do you still have your appetite? 
And then when you do go to work out, are you getting the same sort of output, right? Are you still able to push as much weight? Are you still able to run as fast? And do you even want to work out? Um, yes, that was, yeah. Another one is obviously your plateaus. If you're plateauing, that's going to be a problem as well. Another one is um, not being able to recover. Uh, so like if you're doing a workout and you are not feeling recovered for four or five days, there's a really good chance that um, this is a symptom of overtraining. So those are just a few kind of, of the uh, more basic ones. Another one would be your inability to relax. So a lot of the things, a lot of the times in athletics, we talk about your heart rate variability. Uh, if you are overtraining, your heart rate variability is way, way off. Um, which we don't need to really get into that. But essentially, if you're knowing, uh, noticing signs of almost like anxiety and stress all the time, really good chance that you're overtraining. And yeah, other than that, that's, uh, those are some of the more, I would say, um, the main ones. Um, if you, also, if you're noticing yourself getting sick more often, your immune system is gone. I think those Absolutely. are pretty good things to watch out for and keep in mind. Yeah, hugely. And it, it's easier to fall into that than, than people realize, especially in your teens, as most people are when they're playing hockey, you don't put as much time and effort into your sleep or nutrition or all of these things that, uh, that you should be. And all of those do play a role in overtraining uh, symptoms and falling into that in general. And once you do fall into it, it takes a long time to recover. Uh, it took me about three months that my doctor recommended that I pull right back on everything uh, until I was actually able to get back and do a kind of a regular fashion of training again. And once I did, I felt great and I knew not to fall back into that. But those are just some things that people can uh, be aware of. Would it be similar to like burnout? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, burnout, mental burnout dependent, like you and I are, are both in, in business and we, we see burnout in different ways. And a lot of the time that's like loss of creativity, just kind of a dull, hazy effect over us. And we just maybe don't feel as if uh, we have the motivation and drive to keep going. But when we do start to see it on a hormonal level, that's when it's a little different. And that's maybe not something that you would feel burnout wise uh, in, a, in a business sense. However, it'll still have an effect if you're losing sleep. Gotcha. Okay. Why don't we just segue right into sleep then? Yeah, absolutely. So that was, we'll quickly touch on that because we did talk about it last time. Now, obviously sleep, when we're talking about uh, athletic recovery is critically important. You talk about LeBron James or any of the elite athletes, um, generally, general public, I mean, we're looking at seven hours a night minimum is great. Six and a half to seven hours, eight hours would be ideal. Um, athletes oftentimes need up to 10. Uh, obviously we don't, have the ability to do that a lot of the time maybe you're working you've got a job you've got school or any of these things but aiming for that eight hours a day is ideal I personally had a rule and I was actually just talking with a trainer about this the other day um, I was prepping one guy for um, Chicago camp and he was uh, complaining about a little bit of sleep and I had a rule that was if you're coming in especially for strength uh, strength sessions if you're under eight hours of sleep go home <laughs> We're not even working out today because it's going to have such a neurological impact on your ability to train and recover. So um, nowadays, I'd maybe be a little nicer and say seven. But on very, very hard, heavy days, uh, don't even go for it with, le with less, than, less than eight. And uh, I even keep, my, keep that my rule for myself to the day. But Now, can I question about the eight hours? Because um, yeah, I've heard a few different things now. Yeah. Is it eight hours just throughout the day? So if you have like... Uh, you sleep for six hours at night and you have like a two hour nap midday. 
does that count as eight hours or do you want one solid block? No, naps are awesome for mental fatigue, um, but there's there's no research, and we did mention this last time, that there's, there's no research to show that you'll actually have any sort of like performance athletic benefits from a nap. However, I like naps, and naps make me feel great, so I will continue napping. But I'm not going to sit here and expect that that counts as uh, part of my eight hours of sleep because REM, sleep, REM cycles, our actual sleep cycles, are dictated often by the sun, or at least ancestrally speaking, sun goes down, uh, melatonin starts being produced in the brain and we start going into our sleep cycles. Therefore, it's important for us to go through those cycles throughout the night in a consistent fashion rather than trying to make it up again during the day. Oftentimes, an actual true sleep cycle happens in like 30 minute and three hour windows. Um, so it's important that we do go through the first phases and, and the middle phases and the end phases of REM sleep at nighttime. It, it's tough, especially in your teens, because when I was a teenager, um, or even a young adult, honestly, when I moved into my first place, I didn't have a ton of room. Um, now we have the ability that like Sarah and I, when we talk about our, our good sleep hygiene, um, the bedroom should be reserved for two things, right? You shouldn't be doing your homework in your bedroom. You shouldn't be doing business practices in your bedroom. Um, ideally, you want to have a segregated area of the home that is specifically for essentially biohacking your body for the ultimate recovery. So some of the things that I look for, or when I'm talking to athletes, I'm like, okay, we need to make sure if we're starting to talk about nailing in your sleep hygiene, uh, we want to get your room to like a cold, dark cave is really the best thing possible. Our body temperature naturally will drop at night and we want to, uh, keep moving into that rather than having a room with the heat cranked way up. Uh, we want to keep it that cold, dark cave. So, um, as minimal distractions as possible in the room. So I don't even like having a digital clock in the room that emits any sort of light. Um, our skin has uh, photobiomodulators in there that will notice light in any form. Um, so I even get upset when there's a little bit of light shining in just through the very crack in the blinds in my window. I get upset, I'm like, oh, that's gonna affect my sleep. Um, so some of the things you can do right there is just lower the volume around your area in general. Um, if there's even a ticking clock and that and that's bothering you, go ahead and get rid of that. But we want to keep the temperature around like 60 to 75 degrees. Uh, make sure the room's like well uh, well ventilated. Maybe you've got blockout shades. Um, so oftentimes you can have blinds, but if you're noticing that maybe around five or six a.m. in the summertime it starts to get too bright in there, and you still need to get like two or three hours of sleep, adding blockout shades or uh, curtains on top of that to keep it even darker until your alarm goes off is pretty awesome. Um, after that, investing in a proper mattress and pillow, I just put like $600 into, into a couple of pillows because I noticed that my sleep for the past couple of weeks is like, uh, I think it's time to time to start investing in some, some better items to, to make sure I'm feeling great. And uh, I would also consider keeping pets out of the bedroom. Uh, oftentimes, pets who are shifting around on the bed, I personally, oh, I used to have a cat and this cat, whenever she slept on the bed, I would be out like a light because I felt safe at night. But then as soon as the cat starts to move around throughout the night and starts waking you up or the dog, um, that's going to be affecting your sleep. Might bring you out of your deep sleep processes where we get our best restful recovery periods throughout the night. Um, so it might be a good idea to keep the uh, pets out of the room. Another few awesome, really good tips for people to look at is uh, caffeine, caffeine and nicotine. Obviously, uh, most people here should not be uh, partaking in any sort of nicotine, whether that is smoking or gum. However, um, keeping the caffeine and nicotine, which are stimulants out of your body, um, at least I would say two o'clock, three o'clock in the afternoon, don't have anything after that. And I know it's, it's 
so many teens are marketed these crazy ass pre-workout supplements or all these things that they might be getting in for their after school training programs and whatnot. But I promise you with very sensitive systems, uh, especially if you're taking these around five or six o'clock at night, you are going to be tapping into your body's ability to sleep uh, or at least get to sleep at night. Um, next thing would be having an awesome sleep routine. Um, so one thing that I do is I've got a morning routine that I, I get up and do every single day. Uh, and I've developed also a nighttime routine that I do the exact same thing. Um, and that can be as simple as sitting down for, to read a book for 30 minutes and shutting the phone off. Uh, so not having the blue light emitting from the screen, uh, blue light is, is it gives off the very similar, uh, light frequencies that the sun does, which tells our eyes and our eyes are just an extension of our brain slightly outside of our head. And we've adapted that way so that we can have uh, proper like cortisol cycles and sleep cycles throughout the day. Um, so that blue light obviously will have a huge effect on um, telling your body, hey, it's time to be awake or it's time to be asleep. Um, so keeping the phone off for 30 minutes at least before bed. And I'm honestly, ideally, I would say two to three hours, but let's get real. Nobody's doing that. I'm not even going to do that. So uh, let's just skip that altogether. But having a nice nighttime routine for like 30 to 45 minutes before bed, uh, reading and bringing the lights down low to kind of simulate a sunset is a really great way of starting to trigger your body to go into sleep. Sorry, what's your thoughts on people who need like white noise or like myself, I usually listen to it's going to sound dorky as heck, but I usually listen to like TED Talks when I go lay down, start kind of like shutting my body down. I find like when I don't listen to anything, I hear everything that's happening, tap dripping, people outside. And then my mind is just racing because I have a very like I think I have a very active mind. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm very similar in the way. I actually, funny you say that. I, I actually went and saw a counselor for uh, very similar things. Um, many months ago, I, I was dealing with some anxiety and I was hyper, hyper aware of my heartbeat. It comes from a little bit of health anxiety from my past. I mean, this is something I study quite a bit, right? But mm -hmm. um, I was hyper, hyper aware of my heartbeat. And it got to the point where at nighttime, like I couldn't fall asleep because it just felt like my heartbeat was pounding through my ears. And very similarly, like I felt the same thing is like, even if I hear a raindrop outside dropping from a pipe, that'll keep me up at night. Um, I'm not a super huge expert on this, but what I was told from the, from the expert that I was going to see is that essentially um, there's a part of our brain that is for highly analytical thinking. Um, it's very rational and it doesn't want to shut off. And that's um, essentially what's keeping driving us forward. However, there's other, there's a other part of our brain that is kind of the more imaginary side. Um, and this part of the brain is essentially our, our creative part. And when our creative part kind of starts going and it gives us an item to focus on that is other than um, that, that, an item to focus on that essentially like a, uh, extrapolates more thoughts. It kind of just keeps us going on this treadmill of thoughts that are, are not something that we are placing in. It's essentially giving us these ideas and we're creating a story in our own mind. Um, for example, I still to this day go to sleep at night thinking about somebody lofting in wrist shots on me from the blue line. And I just deflect them off into the corner with my blocker. It's very calming for me, but it's because I'm creating a story and a movie in my head rather than focusing on some item that, that's driving me insane. And essentially, 
um, this is one of the things that does allow us to get to sleep a little bit. Um, and that's why like counting sheep, for example, um, is one of those things that it takes your brain off of a single focus and it kind of creates like a repetitive cycle. Uh, one of the, the games that she gave me to play was um, taking the stimulus off my chest was one. So I would do tapping on either side of my body. So I'd like tap, 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 tap. And that would kind of stimulate a different sensory input into my body that I would then focus on. And then every single tap that I did, uh, the game that she gave me to play was um, I had to say the, the new name of a city inside my head, but I had to go through the alphabet. So start with A and then B and then C and just keep going through that. I would be asleep by like S, um, which was a really, really, it's an interesting way of, of kind of hacking the brain into sleep. So that's a really interesting question that you brought up. Um, I wish I did understand that part of the brain a little bit more, but that's just one thing that I did. That's wild. I, it? it is. Yeah. I'm curious about the tapping, but the reason why I got started into listening to the stuff when I went to bed was. I got to college, roommate snored like a sawmill, right? Super loud. And I essentially was like, okay, I, I need to listen to something. And I went, okay, this is what we're learning in class. So might as well listen to it. And if I fall asleep to it, my subconscious is going to pick it up. Yeah. Right. So I'm essentially like subconsciously learning all the time. Yeah. And I've stuck with that. Whether or not there's validity to it, I, I would have to agree that to some point there is probably you like you might retain, I, you know, yeah, 0.2%. But. Exactly. But there's <laughs> there's been times where I've been in a conversation. I'm like, oh, that's blah, blah, blah. And it's like, how do I know that? So I'm like, oh, it's because I listened to this one like TED talk 16 times, 17 times. Because like I'll just keep playing it until <laughs> I until I actually like get through the whole thing. Yeah. like consciously and then i yeah. know my subconscious has picked it up a handful of times and it's just withdrawing some information i'm not i don't recommend about, it though <laughs> yeah well i mean teach their own i think the the point about tapping that the counselor gave me was uh we're using both hemispheres of the brain for that and essentially we're taking the effort of our brain off of the limbic system i believe and i don't know if you've heard anybody my but essentially, I believe the tapping on both sides of the body using both hands is a way of activating both hemispheres of brain and taking it off of the limbic system. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. Just me being a nerd, you know. So I would say to kind of finish up the sleep topic, um, yeah, short naps in the day, earlier in the day is going to be a little bit better. Later in the day, I get sleepy at like six, seven o'clock at night, which is your body starting to go into that sleep phase. Um, that's not a good time to nap. You will mess up your sleep cycles. Very last tip on that would be don't eat a heavy meal uh, within two to three hours of going to bed. All your blood is going to be down in, in your uh, gastrointestinal tracts, trying to digest that food. You're going to be putting a lot of energy to that. Your body is going to be focused on doing that. So that's not going to be a great time uh, to have a meal. But yeah, I'd really do recommend having a nighttime routine it is going to be huge. It just on a deep, deep level starts to tell your body, okay, now it's time to start edging in, into that sleep time. I think we're, as we start to switch to nutrition, um, for any athlete in general, eating after your workout is very important. So, um, I think there's a lot of misconceptions in the industry. I, I know when I was growing up, 
I was always told about the 45 minute post-workout window. Have you heard of that? I thought it was like 20 minutes. Oh, see, this is exactly what I'm talking about. This is exactly it. I've heard 20 minutes. I've heard 45 minutes. I've heard you've got three hours. None of that is really real. Um, there was research that came out of, on this years ago that it's really stuck with me. And that's that um, our muscle protein synthesis window is changing depending on how well-trained of, of a person you are. For an untrained individual, our muscle protein synthesis window, which means the amount of time that your body is going to be pulling amino acids to build proteins in our body to repair tissues, is oftentimes going to be open from 36 to 48 hours. Now, that's for an untrained individual. So if you're a newbie into the gym, you're going to have a lot of time to for your body to be like, holy smokes, guys, we need to recover. Put all hands on deck. Let's get, we don't know what this new stress is. For a well-trained individual, that's where it gets a little bit different, but it's still a very wide open window. And that's between 18 and 24 hours. A very, very well-trained individual, it's even less than a day. You're looking at, yeah, that 16 to 18 hour range. But as long as you're getting enough protein within the next day, essentially, you're going to be okay. Um, so eating after a meal is important because we do want to make sure that for an athlete to get enough protein in through the day, which it can be a little bit tougher, especially if you're a bigger dude, uh, you will need more. And we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but you don't need to be stressed out about blasting back four protein shakes after a workout. Otherwise you're never going to be able to recover or put on any muscle. That's a fallacy that's been a long, around for a long time. And I, I, I actually, if I, I think if you were to go back on that, it's, probably going to be stemming from uh, protein supplement marketing. I, I probably. Would yeah. Pro right. It would propaganda. make sense. Like guys, yeah. you have to get this in. <laughs> yeah. Um, for sure. We've seen a lot of propaganda over the past year. And it's just so every, I think everybody's just so used to that now that parents believe it. Now I remember when I was first started taking hockey quite seriously, my dad was like, I was like, dad, I need protein. Like everybody else is on protein. Yeah. And, he, and he like he held me off, off do you know what he did he started giving me an extra chicken breast at dinner or an extra steak and then eventually like he did his research and landed on a company or landed on a certain product you brought up and, a really good point there like, and, and that's that um your parents and if there's parents listening to this uh, food is expensive and food is only getting more expensive um, inflation is not fun on any of us right now. However, stick with real food before you step into the proteins, stick with the real food. Yeah. And then, yeah. So he landed on a certain product and I was only allowed to take it once or twice a week. Wow. And ever, like ever since then, like I've been using protein on and off, but it was mainly based on how I felt. Yeah. And so if I bought a product and I could feel my like self chemically change inside, I would stop using that product and do research on another one. Right. Yeah. And I feel like that's, I use um, like essentially organic plant-based with no soy um, protein. And it's, I think that's why I landed on that is because this is what makes me feel the most normal or at least keeps me feeling as I did before I took the supplement. Right. Yeah. But that's the only supplement I've really taken besides like BCAAs when I got to college. Mm -hmm. I understand. 
right? So for me, it's like, okay, if I can't add any extra real food, then that's when I go to the powders. So I think I'm going to talk a little bit more about food, but what I think is next time I come on uh, and I'm just talking so everybody can hear this, I think you should do a Q&A about supplements uh, with like your gang and ask them what questions about supplements they might have, because I've got a lot of experience in the supplement industry uh, and I might be able to break down a lot of myths and misconceptions around those things. And that could be a fun thing to get into. Like, for example, like what was just popping into my mind there is like the differences between a plant-based protein and a whey protein. Because what we first started talking about there was your muscle protein synthesis window. But what actually triggers muscle protein synthesis is got to be the first question. So a lot of the times, uh, back when I was working with athletes a lot more, uh, if they're sending me their food logs and I'm looking at it, I start looking at how many times a day are they eating? How much are they eating? What are they eating? And then let's go a little bit deeper into that. But a frequent thing among oftentimes teenagers is they're eating frequently, but they're not eating enough in those frequent windows. Muscle protein synthesis and the actual growth of these tissues can only happen when it's stimulated by the amino acid leucine. Leucine is what triggers our body to go, okay, now you need to start using what we have to build these tissues. But it's a very specific amount of leucine. And that is 2.7 grams approximately. So for about 30 grams of protein, of of animal-based protein, and I say animal-based for a reason, I'll bring that up in a second. For about 30 grams of animal-based protein, 2.7 grams of leucine is is going to be in there. So when I'm looking at a lot of the protein bars on the market and stuff like that, a lot of the times they've got 10 to 15 grams of protein. That's not going to be enough to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. Your body is very likely going to, um, and there's a little bit of discussion whether this is legitimate or not, but um, fall into what's called gluconeogenesis, which is where our body takes the proteins or or breaks down the proteins into simple amino acids and strands because a protein is essentially uh, amino acids bound together with a bond with a peptide bond and um, it'll break those down take the amino acids and turn those into glucose for energy if the body doesn't think there's enough of it to actually use for tissue synthesis synthesis um, so oftentimes when you are having a meal you do want to have a minimum of 30 grams of protein it also makes it easier when you're looking out throughout the day of, okay, how much protein do I actually need to get? So like the daily minimum recommended by the national Institute of health is 0.36 grams per pound of body weight for a sedentary individual. So a sedentary individual is somebody who doesn't work out. They have a desk job, they go home, they watch Netflix, feed the cat, go to sleep. Right? So if, if that person is 200 pounds, for example, their daily intake of protein, as per the National Institute of Health, doesn't need to be more than like 60, 70 grams. For an athlete, good luck. That's not going to work. I would often recommend oftentimes double. And I really what I'm looking at is I would routinely program a minimum of 0.6 to 0.8 grams uh, per pound of body weight even up to one gram, or if you're an ectomorph more body type like me for a short period of time, going up to 1.2 or 1.4 grams, I would say is 
probably okay for a short period of time, but long-term health, not a good idea to, to stay above uh, one gram per pound of body weight per day. So that's when you can start to reverse engineer the process and be like, okay, I'm X amount of weight. I now found out that I need to be taking in, for example, 160 grams of protein per day. Um, now let's break that down, right? How much do I need to get per meal? And that's when you start to look at, okay, even if I have four meals at a day, do whatever the math is on that. I'm not much of a math guy myself, but it might be 35 to 40 grams of protein per meal. And now you can start to break down. Okay. I know now that I need to have chicken breast and a half weighed at this much to get the enough protein that I need in my diet. And that's kind of like your first step um, with figuring out the macronutrients that you need. So um, if you are an athlete, start to calculate your body weight and figure out how much protein that you need yourself. If, it, if it's easy, just start with one gram per pound of body weight. Um, if money is an issue, yes, you can supplement with a, a protein powder that seems right for you. Now, taking it back to the comment that I made about the importance of uh, like whey versus plant-based proteins is that nowadays there are a lot more people who have sensitivities and intolerances to uh, dairy-based, milk-based products, right? Um, whey is taken off of, um, it's essentially a residue that's taken off of the cheese making process. Um, so it can have some digestive effects on some people, other people that don't, and that's great. Um, so it, some people might look towards like a plant-based protein. Now, when we talked about muscle protein synthesis and we need enough leucine in order to trigger that muscle protein synthesis, this is kind of the issue that we run into a lot of the time with the uh, plant-based proteins is that um, the amino acids are very different for a plant-based protein as compared to an animal-based one. Many times a plant-based protein will not have an adequate amount of leucine to actually tell our body we need to start making uh, muscle tissue with this. Now, a lot of brands are getting a lot better at this nowadays because what they're doing is um, they're using uh, pea proteins mixed with rice proteins, which very similarly uh, will, will have an amino acid ratio like an animal-based protein. And then maybe they'll add in ingredients such as like uh, pumpkin seed, which is naturally higher in leucine and things like that. But it is important to check on the bottle because there will be a window on there that has uh, the naturally occurring uh, amino acid profiles and make sure that you are getting enough in there for you. So that's another topic on its own, but most people usually are okay with a more animal-based one. I personally, if you can tolerate it, I do recommend an animal-based one, but again, to each their own. If you guys have questions with me, hit me up on Instagram at Maximchuk. Michael will link it and I, I, I'm more than happy to help you out with that stuff. Send me a picture of what you got and, and uh, we can go from there. So speaking with the, I, we'll talk on one more thing here, um, quickly over carbs and fats. And then I think that's enough info for the people for today. But, um, when we were talking about the post-workout, uh, refuel, right. And you just need to get enough food in through the day post-workout. It is a great idea. If you want to have a protein shake, yeah, go for it. And I mean, an, uh, a whey protein will usually digest and be not traceable within your body within 45 minutes to an hour. Um, so it is a really quick, easy source to get into your body. And then you can have a meal right after that, if you just want to make it even easier on yourself. But a question that often comes up is, uh, what about my, my glycogen? Because we have to fuel our bodies with something to do the exercise right now. A lot of those times we look at, okay, you got to have those carbs. you got to have those sugars in your body. Cause that's actually what, um, after we use up our, our, our phosphocreostores in our body our ATP, which creates those short bursts of energy for like 10 to 15 seconds, we then start moving into our, what's called our glycolytic system. 
um, where we need to break down sugars, carbohydrates, right, for energy so we can maintain exercise. And that, that works for a short period of time. So oftentimes people go, okay, so what about, you know, my, my, my energy stores? How do I replenish those things? This has also been something that I've looked into a little bit more because I, I've been worried that people are, again, falling for marketing that you have to be eating. Like now you've had your protein powder. Now you should take your carb powder to replenish your glycogen stores. Now glycogen is held in our muscles. And that's one of the things that we pull from very first when we need energy to, or after, of course, we use our phosphocreate stores to create ATP. Then we start to move into, into uh, burning the sugars. Eating enough carbs is going to be important in the day, especially for an athlete. But I think it's been over-dramatized of how much you need to be eating. In the past, even, even in our day, you would see guys eating a freaking three pounds of spaghetti, <laughs> you know, a couple hours okay. before a workout, right? Exactly. Yeah, and guilty. me too. Like, I remember bowls of rice um, just because like, oh, you got you to get your carbs in. You got to get your carbs in. But the reality is our body stores a lot of glycogen in mm. many different types of tissues. Uh, you do need to make sure you are getting a healthy amount of carbs in your diet. And that will certainly range. I think, I think you should really go off a lot of the times how you feel. Um, because if, if you're sleepy all the time, uh, you're probably getting a little bit too much, but a couple hundred grams a day uh, for an athlete is not uh, out of the ordinary whatsoever. But at this very same time, if you're somebody who's only training once a day, um, your natural eating process, eating three to four meals a day of enough vegetables, and maybe you are getting a little bit of rice or something in there. I don't know how you guys eat. This is oftentimes a tough topic to talk about because there's a lot of uh, polarities and people coming from different styles of eating patterns, especially in our industry. Um, but your natural eating patterns should naturally replenish your glycogen stores if you're training once a day. I wouldn't be as worried about it. If you are somebody who is a more elite athlete and you are training two times a day, maybe even more active in your, in your, um, outside of your specific exercise settings, maybe you've got a job where you're walking all day, your body is likely burning quite a bit more. And then you might need to start talking to an expert about how much you should be taking and how you should be taking it throughout the day. But for the most part, if you're only a once a day individual, I wouldn't be too worried about overeating your carbohydrates or anything like that. Um, because it's not really going to be as much of an issue as I think what we've been led to believe. So really to like clear that point up, there's really no clear cut formula to determine how many carbs are going to be optimal for you. So like your intake is going to be based like on your age, gender, training history. If you like, I say gender, because depending on what stage of your cycle you may be in as a female, you, you may need uh, a different ratio of fats to carbs, your activity level and your goals. So I really like to encourage people to pick a reasonable amount of carbon injury, uh, intake based on how your body responds. And like I said, if, if you are having, uh, that sleepiness feeling all day and maybe you're foggy brained, look at the carbs you're, you're taking in, how much you're taking in. And especially if you are, uh, getting that really hazy, like I can't think at all anytime, uh, you need, probably need to check your gluten as well. Uh, how many of those carb sources do contain gluten? Because oftentimes that's uh, difficult for people to digest and can be an inflammatory factor, which especially for athletes, we want to decrease our inflammation as best as physically possible. Inflammation is disease causing, but it also causes pain and aches and injuries in our joints and whatnot. So you do want to stay that as best as possible. Last uh, question or demything here. Yes, sir. When an athlete drinks Gatorade, Powerade, any of the sugary drinks kind of thing, 
Should they be consuming it before exercise, during exercise, or after exercise? That's that is a good question. So I when you're talking about them specifically taking in Gatorade, now are are, are you talking about the electrolytes or the carbohydrates that it might be giving them? Or both? <laughs> Probably both. What I was told was you would want to take power rate actually before you exercise and then Gatorade as you exercise. If you have it after you exercise, it's too late because uh, the sugars are already like you're sweating and you're not replenishing it quick enough. Yeah. So when it comes to hydration um, for hydration purposes, I would prehydration is the most important thing in the world. You need to get enough electrolytes and water into your system hours in advance before exercise Um, for the sugar. So I'm not super aware of like the power rates of Gatorades just because I think there's a hundred better different options for um, quick interim energy as well as electrolytes, much healthier, no food coloring, uh, no dyes, no artificial sweeteners in there's many other products out there that I think are far, far, far superior than that crap. But if we're just talking about a drink that's delivering you quick and easy carbohydrates as well as electrolytes, electrolytes are definitely more important beforehand And during the exercise or just prior to exercise is when you're going to want uh, like the fast digesting carbs, like the maltodextrins or what, I don't even know what they use to be completely honest. I think they just use straight sugar, (laughs) probably corn syrup to be honest, which is is garbage. Uh, And when we talk about (laughs) inflammatory responses in the body during exercise, that's the only time that I what I'm saying is, is actually hypocritical just because your body will be taking that and turning that over for energy so, so quickly. Um, so you're not going to see that inflammatory response in your body from those short burst sugars. Our body's going to burn that up so fast. But again, going back to talking about, do you actually need it? <laughs> uh, as far as the sugars and carbohydrates, probably not. No, you probably don't need it. Stick to the hydration, focus on the hydration, because I think that's where the people are missing out the most is not getting enough water in the day, missing out on the proper minerals that they need to perform at their best. Uh, electrolytes are, you know, you're talking about your sodium, calcium, potassium, magnesium, uh, magnesium, especially. And I talked about earlier that, that one specific one that I take magnesium is responsible for over 300 biochemical reactions in the body, right? Um, calcium, I'm less worried about because calcium is so abundant in our environment um, so many things have it in, in our, just our food supply, um, the heavy metals that you might see in a lot of our, our plant food supplies and our, in our vegetables. I'm really not too worried about that because our, our environment is so abundant in it. So you really do want to, if I'm looking for a electrolyte supplement, I'm looking for something that's higher in sodium, um, half a gram to a gram. It's very rare. You'll see one with a gram of sodium in there. Um, but even throughout the day, if you're just putting a little dash of, of sodium in your water, um, maybe put a, just a little pinch of it, uh, of some Celtic sea salt in your water. Um, and other than that, yeah, your potassium, your magnesium, those are very critical. And then uh, your, your micronutrients uh, and, and some of your other minerals. If you have a, like a high mineral supplement, that's just like a liquid one, just a couple of drops of that is awesome. Um, those would be the most impor- important things. Awesome. Okay. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Goalie Corner. Uh, Denon, do you have anything that you want to plug or anything like that? I do not. I hope everybody stays healthy and safe out there. I know we're starting to get into playoff time. So do take the time to do not negate your body. 
Take the time to do your mobility. Every guy should be doing yoga. Get your mobility and strengthening in. Make sure you're eating enough, hydrating enough. And I wish you all the best until our next podcast. Yes, that's a very good point. Take more time than you did during the regular season to listen to your body and recover. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Goalie Corner presented by One Stop Goaltending. Goaltending.